This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporter, Mizugai. We thank him and all our other patrons for their monthly support. Command codes verified. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 294 of Priority One Podcast, your weekly report on all things Star Trek. Available for download or streaming on Monday, November 7th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Cookie. And I'm Jace. And in the recording studio is our audio engineer, Skiffy. Hey, guys. Wait. What? Wait, hold on. What? Did, did I just go through some type of time warp to like a year ago because my head already hurts. I feel weird. I'm picking up neutrino emissions. It's all about time travel now. It is all about time travel Hosts now. of and yesterday. Oh, that's a good title for this week's episode, oh Jace. My God. Awesome! You awesome. Yeah, that was, that, was, that was my idea too. Now that we got that <laughs> out of the way. Well, Cookie, what do we have coming up this week? This week, the dust begins to settle and we continue to trek out Brian Fuller's shift from showrunner to executive producer on Star Trek Discovery. We also trek out what happens when Benedict Cumberbatch gets loose. In Star Trek Online News, we've got crystals, console crafting, and community choices. Later, Jace continues IDW's Star Trek Ongoing Volume 11, as well as Boldly Go Number 1 in this month's Literary Review. And as always, before we wrap up the show, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Of course, don't forget to keep the conversation going at facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast, or on Twitter at Priority One Pod. You can also send us an email via incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Thanks again to all of our Patreon supporters who make this show possible from week to week. Visit us at patreon.com forward slash priority one and find out about all the cool perks that we have to offer those of you that support our show. Speaking of Patreon perks, this week on Priority One After Hours, you're in for a treat. I proclaim Rick and Morty the best sci-fi currently on television and Discovery has has to beat that. I'm imagining Star Trek Discovery turning out to be like Red Dwarf. (laughs) (laughs) Gotham had a really rough first season, and it was like, I haven't even watched it because of how bad the first season was. But it's picked up from what I hear. Everybody's loving Gotham, 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 Gotham. (sighs) But I I haven't, yeah, you see, it even makes Winter's Yawn. This unscripted, uncensored, and unedited recording is available exclusively to our Patreon subscribers. Now let's check out the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. I don't know. Then let's trek it out. Well, last week we reported that Brian Fuller has officially stepped down as showrunner for Star Trek Discovery, according to an article on Variety. Now that we've had a week or so to stew over it, some additional information has surfaced, and we're here to bring it to you. In the following days, even Fuller tweeted, Riker spent seven years of TNG unready for captaincy. At Gretchen J. Berg and at 
Aaron Harberts, are ready. Thrilled to see them in command of the bridge. Nerdist.com reported that BuzzFeed's Adam B. Vary posted an official statement from CBS Television Studios regarding Fuller's shift from showrunners to executive producer. It's somewhat lengthy, so here's the gist. According to CBS, Fuller's shift had everything to do with his other projects, so he just can't focus on showrunning Discovery. Instead, he'll stay on as executive producer. However, it seems that Fuller has, in fact, laid out a ton of groundwork. Links to the official statement will be in the show notes, of course. Okay, so what's the difference between a showrunner in this sense and the executive producer? Well, a showrunner typically is much more hands-on and involved in the process of actually guiding the direction of the show, even if they're not actively writing scripts, which Fuller has written the first two episodes, I believe, himself. Um, An executive producer is a much higher level role and varies a lot. Uh, Skiffy, you might be able to add uh, a little bit to that, but I know executive producers can just be sort of, this means they have contributed in some way or are, were involved in the creation of it and still have a credit at a high level, but I don't, I don't think there's even a clear singular definition of that role. So the only the, one of the ways I can think to describe this or to compare it is to compare it to a, uh, the film model and uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, because uh, I'm familiar with that project and familiar with the people behind it. Uh, Jerry Bruckheimer is the executive producer of Pirates of the Caribbean. That doesn't necessarily mean that he's in there uh, directing the show or telling them what content they can and can't do, although he does have that power. The executive producer usually retains that power. So it's, it's a very high level position. Uh, if we were to compare it to a company, it would be like the CEO of the company, the person that's, that's running everything at a very high level, but leaves the individual projects, uh, to other people. And Jerry Bruckheimer is a great example because he's got his hands in so many different TV shows and movies. There's no way he can focus on a granular level at each one of them. So he, he sources that out to other people. And another comparison would be something like a restaurant, right? You have the head chef, which is like your Gordon Ramsay, and then your sous chefs and whatever down the line, and then the restaurant owner or the restaurant manager who would be the CEO and the chef would be the showrunner. Now, Tony in our Priority One chat had commented, oh, you know, three people showrunning, that, you know, there's nothing possibly could go wrong there, sarcastically, because... In theory, that's kind of like having three chefs, three head chefs in a kitchen. Uh, it's it, It'll be interesting to see how this develops. I do want to say I, I, have a, I have a hunch that some of this decision has to do with the delay uh, with Discovery. It is, it is very likely that there were other projects on his plate and he had to step down because those are because Discovery has now encroached on the schedule of some of those other projects. Yeah, but he requested the delay. It was Fuller that pushed for the delay till May. Still, it could have been the right call for him to make, even if that meant that he would have to step back. Now, what we did not report on last week was that Akiva Goldsman will be joining the creative team. Now, for those of you who don't know who that is, Akiva Goldsman is an Academy Award-winning film and television writer, director, and producer. This guy wrote the screenplay and won an Oscar for the film A Beautiful Mind which also won the Oscar for Best Picture that year. He's also written for Fringe and worked on the screenplay for I, Robot, I Am Legend, and The Da Vinci Code. Although, 
the dude brought us Batman Forever, Batman and Robin, and Lost in Space. So there's that. <laughs> Doomed. So I, I don't know. I I was reading an article and uh, they, they actually called this guy a hack. That it's kind of like he's had a few, like he had that one good hit with a beautiful mind, but there really hasn't been anything astounding since then. Uh, now, I enjoyed Fringe. I enjoyed iRobot. I enjoyed I Am Legend. The Da Vinci Code was all right. Yeah, but iRobot and I Am Legend are both really not true to the original adaptations of books or stories. Now, that's a good point because writer Josh Friedman, who wrote for Terminator the Sarah Connor Chronicles and the screenplay for the 2005 War of the Worlds adaptation and is currently writing for Avatar 2, the sequel, had this to say on Twitter. Quote, not criticizing talent left on Trek, but at Brian Fuller's a unicorn and a Trek fanatic. He was perfect. Show just got 80% less interesting. End quote. And then followed up with that tweet with, quote, CBS will be asking people to buy whole season of show that had first couple of episodes conceived, written by Fuller, and other episodes not Fuller, end quote. But he does still have control over what happens. I mean, he might just, they might not come with him with every little thing, but if he sees something that's clearly off, he still has the power to do something about it. Perhaps, but with Fuller as showrunner and with Fuller's attention to detail, right? For instance, his attention to detail on, on shows like Hannibal, his dedication to source material, there is there is now more likelihood that Star Trek nuances will slip through the cracks. It will not be as hyper-focused and as attentive as it might have been had he still been showrunning. Well, now it does just say that this guy is on the team. That doesn't mean he's going to completely lead it. There could be other people that can put him in his place. Akiva? Yeah. According to this statement from CBS, he's part of like the lead team of creators. He's like upper echelon of the, the writing team. They called it a high level. Right. Less and right. so, and so that, you know, that's a little bit concerning. I, I don't know. I, I am concerned for the project, but I've been concerned about Trek ever since uh, 2009 JJ Abrams, Star Trek came out and that that's been pretty wildly popular, all things considered. And I, I tend to wonder if they just don't care about appealing or, uh, uh, but taking... they don't have a network to answer to, so they can make it true Star Trek. And it... not only that, but Kenna pointed out to me. Remember, it's different production houses. Yeah, I, I, I'm not saying it's going to be like 2009 Trek, but I've been worried about the franchise, and and I just, I think they don't care about appeasing the classic Trek fans anymore. I think they're aiming for a much more wild, uh, much more um, wide audience, and. They may not have the network to be as concerned about, but it still needs to be successful and popular for them to make money off of it. And if they don't make money off of it, Trek is going to be in serious trouble for a while. Another Trek series probably won't happen for a long, long time. So we can get into that. This is going to be our core discussion for After Hours this week because it's nice to have the old team and old voices back. So now you get to hear our opinions about what this all means. Something we failed to mention was that the news included the announcement that there would be a Klingon character included in the story. Now, beyond that, there isn't much else. I believe it is a Klingon captain. There was a mention of this in one of the previous info dumps, but 
I think it didn't get quite as much uh, discussion, at least by us and, and where I saw it, because that was the same time we were learning that, you know, we would have a female lead and that maybe she wouldn't be the captain. And Oh, dear. Of... is It's not Michael Dorn, isn't it? Is it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> time traveling war. No, this, this one needs a brand new cast, I think. So it's not a female captain? They have been cagey about the actual captain. The, the lead is going to be a lieutenant commander, though I think it might be an STO-type scenario where they end up cast into the role of command in the, you know, over the course of the story. Oh. But that's all speculation. Say, how could it be the lead but not the captain? That doesn't make, but that makes sense now. That leads us into this week's first community question. Now that the dust has settled a bit, what do you think of Fuller's shifting away from showrunner to executive producer? Are you excited to hear about the Klingon character? Leave your replies in the comment section for this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO294 or by replying to us on Facebook or Twitter. In funnier news, on a recent episode of The Graham Norton Show, Benedict Cumberbatch shared an interesting story about a night he shared with acclaimed physicist Stephen Hawking. After having portrayed Hawking in a 2004 TV movie, the two rubbed elbows at a 2012 event in London's Royal Society and, quote, we got knee deep in margaritas and it was at that drunken moment I thought I would tell him I was playing con in Star Trek. Stephen was the only person I told. He liked the fact I had told him. It made him smile, end quote. Now keep in mind, he spilled the beans to Hawking before it had been officially announced that he was playing Khan in Into Darkness. Now let's find out what's been happening this week in Star Trek Online. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. Well, Captains, welcome once again to Star Trek Online News, where we bring you the latest happenings from around the digital Alpha, Beta, and Delta Quadrants. Come on, Gamma. Don't leave us hanging forever. Patch notes this week were brief, mostly fixing some bugs that the transporter biofilter didn't catch when artifacts beamed in last week. Notably, the issue where some kits and kit modules disappeared has been resolved. Foundry players and authors should also note that changes from the lighting update mean an extended downtime for Foundry functions. Crystal shards are back on the menu. Now through November 24th, captains of levels 50 and up can queue up for the 10-person crystalline entity queue and earn shards. As usual, completing the 14-shard event rep project will reward 50,000 dilithium, 5,000 fleet marks, and 250 marks of your choice. This time around, the unique reward for the project is a new ground weapon called the Crystal Radiation Projector. There's no details yet on what this might do. I'm personally hoping for a pulse wave style blast that mimics the periodic energy overloads that the entity performs after absorbing incoming fire. And of course, after completing the main project, you'll be able to turn in one shard at a time for another 2,000 dilithium, 50 fleet marks, and 35 marks of your choice as well. Remember, both normal and advanced queues grant you the shard, but only the advanced queue grants bragging rights, especially if you can live through the blast waves. With the research and development, aka crafting system, coming to Xbox One and PS4 players in the 1.2 update, Jeremy Bordicus Cryptic Randall has penned a new introduction to the system for console players, posted as a dev blog this week. 
This is a great overview of R&D for anyone who hasn't delved much into the system so far, and also includes links to relevant articles from STO Wiki and STO Academy. One additional detail worth mentioning is the announcement that R&D packs and related boosts will go on sale in the console C-Store as well when update 1.2 goes live. We don't have a release date yet, but it's expected within the next few weeks, according to Bordicus. The silent majority has spoken, and the votes are in! Team Alpha has won the community shipbuilding competition. Boo! After several rounds of polling, Team Alpha's sleek triangular design, which some have compared to Tholian vessels, beat out Charlie's new fashion flying saucer, as Kipley Brown called it, as well as Echo's space boomerang. This winning concept will become the event reward for Star Trek Online's upcoming 7th anniversary in early 2017. I have to say, I am very disappointed that the boomerang didn't win. Me too. Mostly because it looked like a Sona ship, and I was very excited about that. Oh, that makes me less interested. <laughs> <laughs> now, this campaign was different from the first community shipbuilding event in some interesting ways. Instead of eight concept ships in three rounds of pairs, we had six designs paired off. Then, a three-way vote between the winners. Also, instead of resulting in an upcoming Sea Store release, the final winner will be an event ship that anyone will have the chance to earn directly through the anniversary project. Might showing how the sausage was made in the case of the Jupiter class have resulted in fewer purchases, partially due to players becoming attached to one of the other seven designs that were not chosen? I did think it was interesting how they did it differently this time. You know, I, I'm not a fan of the pairing off, the, the, the first part where you pair off the designs, because... If you if one design in round one, if, if design one uh, alpha loses to design beta, alpha could still be a better choice than one of the others selected. <laughs> right. Like if you're if your top two favorites immediately get paired up, you have much less of a chance of one of the designs you like making it through the process. It, exactly. So I, I don't necessarily care for that, but I know why. I mean, I see why they do it because it's just plain easy. Mm -hmm. Now vote for A or B. How is the voting done exactly? I mean, I know it's on social... I know it's on Twitter. I've seen it. But is it only on Twitter or is it it's on... It's also Google? on the forums, I believe. Forums, Facebook, Twitter, and Google? I thought they had Google in there, too. Um, I, I will also comment that I, I think the Jupiter class... Granted, it was it was a voting uh, voted on ship, but I think the Jupiter class is ugly. Well, the, it, the original uh, Jupiter class was pretty brutal, so... I think there's something to be said for keeping it a bit of an ungainly design. With that also said, I do believe, even though I didn't vote for Charlie... Oh, sorry. No, uh, that didn't win. Alpha. Even though I didn't vote for Alpha, uh, I do think that's going to be a wildly popular ship because of its unique design, and there's really nothing else in Stowe like it. I'm sure it'll be good-looking once it's actually in-game. It just looks a little bland to me, you know, like a, a, a squared-off triangle. And that brings us to our next community question this week. Are you now looking forward to the 7th anniversary event so that you can get your hands on this ship? Leave your replies in the comment section for this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO294 or by replying to us on Facebook or Twitter. And lastly, before we wrap up Star Trek Online news, here are some upcoming events to look forward to. For PC players, bonus rewards for the new featured episode Echoes of Light continue until the 17th of November. Check back each week for a new gear set piece and a bonus of either a spec point or a special tech upgrade. And further on the horizon, the start date for Q's Winter Wonderland looks to be the 1st of December. The holidays are coming. For console players, the lifetime subscription to Star Trek Online is on sale from now until the 17th of November. 
gain access to exclusive ships for Federation, Romulan, and Klingon factions. Extra character, bank, and inventory slots. Even being able to refine an extra 1,000 dilithium every 48 hours. Exclusive races such as Talaxian and Liberated Borg. The list goes on and is certainly something to consider if you plan to be an STO in the long haul. Of course, as always, events are subject to change without notice. Make sure you check the in-game calendar or listen here at Priority One Podcast for the latest news and updates from Star Trek Online. So guys, I've been logging back into the game. Whoa. I know, it's weird. All my keybinds got messed up and I lost <laughs> the keybind file. Keybind, yeah. Um, oh, so I, yes. spent, I spent like an hour trying to figure out again how to use the Stow Keybind app to set those keybinds up. But here's what I want to do, and I've been waiting for the lighting change to happen. I because I so I logged in and I had a bunch of missions that I hadn't done, a bunch of featured episodes, and then obviously a whole story arc that I didn't do. I didn't do the uh, Agents of Yesterday. So I was really I, I I logged in. I did Echoes of Light, and I was really confused. I had no idea what was happening. I mean, I recognized the Geckley, I recognized the, the species from Encounter Arts Farpoint, but the comet thing was cool. I liked flying up to a comet. That was like, that was a nice touch. But I, I was completely lost, story-wise. I had no idea who I was helping. I had no idea what species she was, what was going on. So, I think this weekend, I'm going to roll a new tune, and I'm going to start from the beginning. And I might even take to Twitch and go through that, uh, go through it publicly. Ooh. Are you going to make a temporal character, an Agents Yesterday character? Oh, I don't know. You should. should I? Yeah, you should. Okay, so I'll do that. I'll do that. Well, I was uh, – who told me – didn't Ricosa tell me to – what did he say? It was, so, it was like play – I don't know. I don't oh, I know what he said. Like you should at least create a temporal character and play through the, the initial storyline. Like you can play all the other Agents of Yesterday episodes as your main character if you want, but you should at least create the temporal character and – get those stories that way okay yeah all right so i'm gonna do an agents of yesterday character uh and i'll start there and and get back up to 60 little by little it'll take me another year it'll take me a year like it did the first time are you gonna play on console or do you have any desire to play on console i will not play on console no i i mean first of all i haven't i haven't turned on my xbox three first of all i still have an xbox 360 number one uh yeah number two is that uh i haven't even fired that up in god knows how long uh, PC Master Race, man. Well, you Master also, Race. I mean, you have lifetime on PC already, and it doesn't transfer. Well. It's a, I mean, we have a lot invested in PC already. Right, right. Oh, I agree with you completely. I, I won't, I will not ever completely switch over to one of the consoles, but I am playing through just kind of for the experience. And it is really, uh, kind of had a good piece on this. It's really nice to sit down in your living room or, lay, you know, lay down on the couch and be able to play Stowe. Yeah, just in a comfortable setting. And they did a great job on the UI. Uh, playing it at the conventions this year was fantastic. Yes, and actually, I really wish that they. I don't know if it's possible. I don't know if they ever will. But it would be really cool if I could plug an Xbox controller into my um, Windows PC and have the console UI as an option. Yeah, they have. They've talked about it. As of right now, I, to my understanding, there's no immediate plan for that to happen. Yeah, they haven't ruled That's it off. They haven't ruled it out, but right. it's not on the roadmap right now. You're talking about porting the the console UI over to PC for an option, right? Sure, I, I would yeah, imagine yeah. most of the elements are are in there. Yeah, they haven't announced it. They haven't followed up with that. The other thing is, is is there any reason you couldn't have a keyboard and mouse on the Xbox? 
I don't know. I know the USB support keyboard, and you can use Bluetooth keyboards. I don't know about mice. I've never tried it. Anyway, I guess that's neither here nor there. Now, let's see what Jace has to say in his latest literary review. Hello, Captains. This is Jace with the latest edition of Trek Lit 101. This month, we continue the five-year mission and begin to wind down IDW's Star Trek ongoing series with Volume 11. Only two volumes remaining. And we trek out issue number one of Boldly Go, which leads us into the future beyond, beyond. Volume 11 contains three stories. The first gives a Kelvin eye view of the original episode, The Tholian Web, framing the story with a continuation of the Voyager-like journey back to the Alpha Quadrant, begun in Volume 10. The Enterprise stumbles into Interspace and has an encounter with ships of the mysterious Tholian Assembly. This was a pretty neat take on the original episode, using the same elements in a somewhat different configuration. Rachel Stott's art included space scenes showing the Enterprise and her components, let's say, to avoid a spoiler, in unusual angles and compositions. I enjoyed it for the most part, though there was a time or two where my eye was slow to grasp exactly what I was looking at. The end of the episode saw them close enough to the nearest star base for us to consider their trek home to be over, without too much fanfare. There wasn't too much follow-up yet on a couple of the character and plot threads that I thought we'd see again that were set up last volume, but perhaps that's yet to come. Ongoing is tricky. It is fairly episodic, but has laid down groundwork for future stories before. The second story, Deity, showcases Sulu, leading an away team for the first time after some discussion with Kirk that foreshadows Hikaru's own future captaincy, much like we've seen referenced in the films. Scotty joins his team with a piece of prototype tech for observing primitive cultures that we're used to seeing as commonplace in the TNG era, the holographic duck blind, and hijinks ensue. I enjoyed this story more than the Tholian webs overall. It was a fairly effective prime directive slash first contact story with some pretty major twists. One thing that struck me as funny, a bit like the runic characters that were used in Behemoth, the obviously bird-like race on this planet were called the Felidae, which is the Latin family name for all types of cats, actually, from which we get the term feline. Anyway, while Deity seemed like a one-off, I would be very curious to learn more about the races introduced here. They were very interesting looking, and the backstory seemed quite intriguing. So, get on at IDW, or heck, even STO. Rounding out Volume 11 is a story actually set in the Prime Universe. Flesh and Stone is loosely related to the Tholian webs, in as much as the Tholians are very indirectly involved. But there are no alternate reality shenanigans happening here. It was a story created in partnership with the Qualcomm Tricorder X-Prize, and it manages to include every Trek TV series chief medical officer, from Flocks to Voyager's emergency medical hologram, even Catherine Pulaski. It's a fun medical mystery story spanning the centuries, though bringing in every CMO did take a bit of shoehorning. Nonetheless, it was a pleasant interlude for a prime timeline aficionado like myself reading through the Kelvin comics. See guys, we really can all coexist. Finally, though we still have two more volumes of ongoing to catch up on, I'm going to go ahead and talk about Boldly Go number one, which picks up shortly after the events of Star Trek Beyond. The action starts with our crew separated, 
having taken on various short-term assignments apart while waiting for the Enterprise to return to service. However, by the end of the issue, a series of events ties it all together, reaching a stunning final page reveal that I can't possibly spoil here. This is one you're going to need to trek out for yourself, and I hope you do, because I cannot wait to see what's next. A great start to a new ongoing series and the new adventures of the Kelvin universe in comic form. That's all for this week's Treklit 101. Now let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, this is the part of the show where we open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. This week's community question was, is it ever worth getting into the Star Trek versus Star Wars debate? Are they really so different that they don't merit comparison? We took our community question to the people, and the people answered definitively. At the time of this recording, 86% of listeners thought the comparison and debate of Star Trek versus Star Wars wasn't worth it. Apples to oranges. We had some really great feedback this week, and we'll have to summarize some for time, but we suggest checking out our Facebook, Twitter, STO forum post, and PriorityOnePodcast.com to read all of the comments. Nice job, posters. At Captain Revo tweeted, Depends on what the exact topic is. There are some fun, worthwhile debates while others are pointless. It's more about the person you debate with. Are they there to have fun, or are they argumentative and close-minded about the topic? From Facebook, Alberto Just Some Guy Rivera wrote in, Nope. All a debate does is polarize the audience into an us-versus-them mentality. I love them both for very different reasons, but I wouldn't compare their merits against each other and sooner than I would compare them to Battlestar Galactica, Harry Potter, or the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I mean, I totally get where he's coming from. It's, it's just not, it's not at all the same. But when pressed, I say Star Trek is more for adults and Star Wars is more for kids. But that's not always true, but in general, kids are more drawn to Star Wars and they're not drawn, they're not as likely to be drawn to Star Trek. Not always, but in general, that's, that's usually what I say. Star Wars fans can send your comments to <laughs> Star Wars In fans, general, get your mom or dad always. to help you write a comment to Cookie Cupcakes. <laughs> no, I like the latest Star Wars a lot with Ray. I love that. Cookie, I agree with you. I really enjoyed the new film as well. Tyler Maxwell commented on our Star Trek Online forum post. I find your lack of interest in a Trek versus Wars debate disturbing. Okay, really, I love both, like lots of people. They both generate that childlike sense of wonder and fun. And at the end of the day, that's what counts. From Facebook, David Rausch commented, Yes, one, Trek, offers a positive view of the future, and the other, Wars, offers a morality tale on good versus evil, the hero's journey, and the monomyth. Both are incredibly necessary, and there is no reason you cannot love both, but they are different, and an examination of those is always good. I would choose to live in the Star Trek universe over the GFFA any day of the week and twice on Sunday. At NCC89471 tweeted us, Star Wars is Tolkien in space. Star Trek is an anthology series in sci-fi disguise. A different kind of story from episode to episode. Mike Keefe commented on Facebook, from a debate standpoint, yes, it is worth debating, but it always comes down to apples and oranges. Star Trek is science fiction, and Star Wars is fantasy. 
In the end, they're two entirely different genres. Star Wars has more in common with the Avengers movies than it does with Star Trek, but that doesn't mean we can't debate their similarities in how their conflicts develop and how they're resolved. Yeah, that makes sense. Totally get that. I love that there's this much passion for both franchises. I don't know many people who like one and not the other, honestly. That's like a stereotype. Yeah. It's very rare. Yeah. I mean, they're mostly friendlies. It's, it's, it, it shouldn't be one against the other and not both. It should be both. Jace, to, to add on what you said, I do believe that there are people who... I, think, I do believe there's a lot of Star Wars fans who believe they don't like Star Trek, but they haven't given it a fair enough shot. Yes, I've definitely seen that. I, I do believe Star Trek is seen as much more geeky or nerdy than Star Wars is. And it's also huge. I mean, there's, you know, 30 seasons of TV shows and, what, over a dozen movies now? Yeah. Yes, yes. Star Wars has a lot of the books and stuff, though. That's true. But so does Trek. At STO, Shane tweeted, Star Wars was always just the hero's journey couched in sci-fantasy. Trek has been mostly parables on humanity. Too different. I tend to agree. Sean Newboy posted on our website, Love the show, great job. It's never worth it. Arguing Trek versus Wars. David S. commented on Patreon, it all depends on the specific topic of debate. If we're debating something subjective, such as which franchise has the coolest or the most interesting ships, sure, the debate's worth having. If we're debating something objective, such as which is more scientifically accurate or plausible, then no. And again, there was amazing feedback this week. Some unfortunately had to be abbreviated for time and some had to be omitted, but you can continue the discussion with fellow listeners of Priority One Podcast by joining us on our social media outlets. Remember that we want to highlight some of you, our listeners, in our shows. So send us your Star Trek story. Send us an email to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com and we might use your story in an upcoming episode of Priority One Podcast. Well, that wraps up episode 294 of Priority One Podcast. But before we go, we need to send a special thanks to some of our Patreon supporters, Navy Boat Slew, Stephen Humphrey, and Frederick Redegard. And here's our community questions for the week. What do you think of Fuller shifting away from showrunner to executive producer? Are you excited to hear about the Klingon character? Are you now looking forward to the seventh anniversary event so that you can get your hands on this ship? Captains, you know we love hearing from you. Leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or tweet us via at PriorityOnePod. You can even leave us a voicemail via SpeakPipe. Just click on the widget on our homepage. And don't miss a thing from the world of Star Trek. Catch our episodes every Monday morning by pointing your favorite podcast app to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. And if you're listening to us on iTunes, please leave us a review. More importantly, help spread the word about the show. Invite your fellow Trekkies because it's your support that keeps us going. And don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency Podcast at GuardFrequency.com, covering the world of space sims, including Star Citizen, Elite Dangerous, Descent Underground, and many more. If you like this show, then listening to Guard Frequency is the logical choice. Thanks to our graphic artists, Romulan Ale and Jason Smith, to our writer and social media manager, Jake Morgan, to our video editor, Jerry Tillman, and to consultant Midnight Shadow 7 of Hollow Sweet Media for supporting the show. 
Thanks to our audio team, led by Michael McDonald, with assistance from Brandon Parker, Jake Morgan, as Maria Depost, and Gavin LaWarn. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. And of course, a big thanks to Cookie, Jace, and Skiffy for joining me this week on Priority One Podcast. It's certainly a blast from the past. But most importantly, Captains, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Red alert. Shields up. Ready weapons. Engage. Engage. Answer the question. How you guys doing? Welcome back to the show. I'm well, great. I've gone to... <laughs> you get what you pay for. <laughs> you didn't put banter in there, so we don't know what to do. <laughs> and as always, before we wrap up the show, <laughs> it's back. Oh, I always get this line, don't I? And as always, before we wrap up the show, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. My text message just went off. Oh, it really is an incoming message. By replying to us on Facebook. Does that sound like a robot? A little bit, Beeple bobble, beeple bop. Just the or by. Oh, I'm okay with that. All right. Unless if you want me to. No, you're good. And lastly, before we... Look, we we only have 40 minutes. 40 minutes before she turns into a pumpkin. Oh, dear Lord. Cookie, if you're talking, you're muted. I'm sorry. I had to. I'm in the middle. Okay. What do we? What do you need? Just need you I, to read I couldn't the... hear any of that. My sister's trying to get into the. She wants to order something on Amazon or something. <laughs> the, the <laughs> and I'm trying segment, to tell her that I'm in the middle of the recording, but I think the next gonna... section down where it says for console players, okay. the lifetime subscription. Exclusive species such as Galaxian. <laughs> I forgot how to say it. Elijah, is it species or species? Oh God, here we go. It's not even. Oh, it's not even time for rice. I don't even remember. No hablo inglés. Elijah, I don't remember. Which way do you think it is? Because mine's the opposite. Right. So it's species. Species. Okay. <laughs> what? <laughs> I am really upset that you changed it to races because I totally rabbit seasoned, duck seasoned her and you took it away from me. You took it away from me. Wait, so you didn't really think that that's what the one was? That is correct. Oh my God, thank you. Oh, you reverse psyched her. Yes. It totally worked too. It did totally work, man. You totally took that away from me, man. You totally took it away from me, Jace, man. 
And don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions Guard Frequency Podcast at guardfrequency.com, covering the world of space sims, including Star Citizen, Elite Dangerous, Descent Underground, and many more. If you like this show, then listening to Guard Frequency is the logical choice. Hi, this is Chris King, and I'm currently at Kenna's house. Um, it's her last couple of days in the UK before she ships out. So I thought I'd take this opportunity just to ask a few questions. <clears throat> Kenna, how are you doing? Great. How do you feel about leaving the UK? <laughs> great. So what's your new home in the US like? It's great. How do your children feel about you moving? Great. This is the first time I've seen you since Vegas. How do you feel about seeing me again? Great. <laughs> Obviously, I was a guest on the show in Vegas. How did you think I did? Great. <laughs> if I wanted fine pieces of cheese from a block, what would I need to do? <laughs> Great. What rhymes with plate? Great. Name something farmers use to stop cattle escaping their field. Great. Finish the song lyrics. Goodness gracious! <laughs> great. Balls of fire. How would you rate this interview? It's great. How would you rate me as an interviewer? Great. I think we have covered everything. Is there anything else you'd like to add? No. Kenna, it's been really <laughs> great. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Chris.